You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast. The voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Are you ready to learn the secrets, engage in the conversation, and listen to the masters about how to make this economy work for you? Well, sit back, grab a pen and paper, and get ready to discover how you can make growing your business fun, easy, and incredibly effective. If you are passionate about what you do, passionate about the customers you serve, then this is your economy. And the Success Secrets Podcast gives you just what you need to go out there and get it. Now, over to your host, Meredith Elliott Powell. Welcome to The Secrets to Success, a time to learn just how to succeed in this economy, an economy that we like to call the trust and value economy. I am your host, Meredith Elliott Powell, and with us on the show today is Bill Treasurer, founder of Giant Leap Consulting, author of three books, a former high diver, board chair of Leadership Asheville, and father of three children, and a cancer survivor. I am thrilled to have you on the show today, Bill. You cannot imagine. One, just to talk about you, but also this whole idea of courage and leadership. Well, it's my pleasure to be able to be here with you today, Meredith. I've been looking forward to it, and let's have a good time. Well, that sounds great. Well, let's start off by telling our listeners a little bit about you and your company. And I know that's a big question, but because <laughs> because there's so much about you. But, you know, why courage and courage when it comes to leadership? Well, I started the business, uh, we turned a decade old, so we're now in our 11th year. We uh, passed the 10th year, we're into our 11th year. I started the company. Thank you, I appreciate it. In 2002, and I started the business because I realized that a lot of work environments are still run on fear and anxiety as the primary motivators to get people to do things. And I had worked in environments like that, and I knew how personally uncomfortable and dissatisfying and unfulfilling it was for me. But then I started to do some of the research and realized that fear has a tremendously debilitating impact on performance. And so I started the business Giant Leap Consulting as a courage building company, as an antidote to fear in the workplace. Because fear is a debilitator, but courage is what it takes to show up every day, have initiative in the workplace, assert your ideas, be bolder, Courage is what makes the job so much more fulfilling. Bill, I find today, and out there working in corporate America, I think fear is on steroids. I mean, I find more people in jobs unhappy, getting a lot of pressure they feel, whether it's you know self-induced or, or leadership-induced, and but afraid to make a move because you know we're not in a best of economies. How do you see, and I love the fact that, you know, you just mentioned you've turned a decade old. Mm-hmm. So you've been out there doing it for a year. And what this show is really about is helping people understand how this economy has changed and what they need to do to be successful in it, because I do believe you can be successful in it. How have you seen fear, courage, and change? And then how does leadership need to change to be successful in this economy? That's a good question. I that you're right. Boy, that's a good way to put it, that fear has become on steroids. Even in subtle ways, Meredith, I mean, think of how many executives stand in front of their group of executives, maybe an audience of like 300 people at a town hall meeting, 
And you'll almost always hear the executive talk about, quote, what keeps them awake at night. I mean, we brag about what keeps us awake at night, like anxiety is a badge of honor with executives. You know, your employees care much more about what gets you up in the morning than what keeps you up at night. And so I think that it's, you know, sort of incumbent upon leaders to not stoke people's fears. It turns out that people with fear-provoking bosses are twice as likely to be late for work, twice as likely to suffer from sleep disorders, and three times more likely to have high depression. And we know that depression impacts job performance negatively. There was even a Finnish study that showed that people with fear-provoking bosses are 39% more likely to develop coronary heart disease. So a fear-provoking boss can literally accelerate your death. (laughs) It's so much more effective to work on building people's confidence, to give them reasons to prove themselves, to provide them with opportunities where they can stretch themselves and grow. And that means encouraging them, literally putting courage inside of them so that they can face the day. I think that you're right that these are different times and that people have responded to the economic catastrophe since 2008 by hunkering down and trying to play it safe under their desks and becoming invisible. And really, invisibility is the death knell to any career because you become irrelevant. The people who will be successful are those that can raise their hand with a new idea to come forward with revenue-generating thoughts and be bolder, not the people that are trying to hunker down and play it safe. Another, in keeping with this, um, I bet when you're, because I know I, I hear this all the time from leaders, and I finally reached that age where I'm up there with them. I don't know what's wrong with this younger generation. And talent development and developing high potentials has become such a huge focus, and I imagine a large focus of a lot of your work. Do you have any thoughts or ideas or opinions about the fact that the younger generation, this new crop of leaders, won't tolerate as much, isn't as likely to suffer in the workplace? Well, that's interesting. I think that from the standpoint that the younger generation doesn't buy into authoritative structures in the way that the baby boomer generation, of which you and I are in, the new generation, you know, they're very much into meritocracy. They think... It shouldn't matter how long I've been at this company. I can do the job, you know, give me the raise. Whereas our generation grew up with sort of time over target and that you've got to earn your stripes before you're able to sit in a higher level office and such. And they just don't buy into that. They're not intimidated by authority that way. They'll walk into the CEO's room to have a chat. And, you know, you and I would follow certain protocols before ever daring to do such a thing. So I think that that's refreshing in the one hand. On the other hand, recent studies, as recent as the last month, I've seen articles that suggest that this generation of millennials is the most stressed out generation that they've occurred. And the reason for that isn't doesn't have really anything to do with authority, but it has a lot to do with how technologically connected and tethered they are. So this idea of furiously having to always be in the know with what's the latest tweet, what's the latest LinkedIn message, what's the latest electronic impulse that they have to respond to and the social media bombardment. On the one hand, they're so savvy technologically. On the other hand, they're under a tremendous amount of stress. And I think that we need to appreciate that. Almost, I guess, almost paralyzed by it. I think so. You know, the trust word in trust and the value economy catches my attention because I think that when it comes to the generations, you're right. We do the things (laughs) that our parents did, you know, oh, the kids these days. (laughs) 
can't believe how they dress. They go to a job interview and they dress like that. Uh, they've got flip-flops on and stuff. And our parents thought the same thing. I think that part of the trust means our generation moving closer to understanding their generation and their impulses and what motivates them and how to communicate to them. And I think that their generation needs to move forward in what we call trust courage to recognize that our generation has something to offer by way of wisdom and experience that can be mutually beneficial. So I think that if we can approach each generation from what we have to give, that we'll see that there's a lot of a complementarity between the generations. I mean, I certainly don't understand the generation, you know, that comes after me in the way that I'd like to, but I definitely appreciate, especially their technological savvy. I mean, if I'm going to get somebody that's going to be, you know, updating my web for me or helping me with blog posts or whatever, I'm going to want somebody in the 20-something category, somebody under 30. I mean, that's just, I think it's smart to stay connected throughout the generations. And frankly, if I want mentoring about uh, being a seasoned executive, I'm probably going to want somebody in the generation above me from the silent generation, you know, cross-compatibility across the generations. Absolutely. There's so much power in wrapping them together and talk about courage. They certainly are an entrepreneurial generation. And, you know, I love this whole idea of courage. And your first book, Courage Goes to Work, is just fantastic. Thank you. I really encourage my listeners to get it. And while it was highly relevant when you wrote it, I just think it's even more relevant now because it really is calling for leadership at every level and for people. It is the people who are going to be bold that are going to hang on to their jobs. But you've got a new book coming out called Leaders Open Doors. That sounds really interesting. Tell us about it and how the book came about. It's really kind of amusing to me that, you know, I've studied leadership for two and a half decades now. I did my thesis on leadership in college. I've worked with 75 great companies, typically in the area of leadership development. And yet my little five-year-old son gave me a lesson (laughs) in leadership that just caught my attention. It really clarified for me that what leadership's all about. My five-year-old son, now he's six, but last year he was at the Asheville Montessori School. And he came home from school one day and my wife said, hey, honey, Ian got to be the class leader today. He got to be class leader for a day. I said, Ian, that's so cool. You get to be class leader for the day. I made a real big deal of it because he's the second fiddle. He's got twin brother and sister that are older than him. So a lot of the attention goes their way. So I I really made a big deal of it. Ian, you got to be class leader for the day. Come here. Tell me, buddy. What'd you get to do as class leader? And he looked at me with his big five-year-old innocent eyes and he shook his head yes. And he said, yeah, I got to open doors for people. (laughs) I I was like the RCA Victor dog. I started tilting my head. I was like, huh. I was (laughs) like, man, you know what, little buddy? That's really so much what leadership is about. It's really about creating opportunities for others by opening doors to help them have a proving ground where people can prove themselves, to giving them opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have had if, you, if the leader hadn't come into their life. It's about helping them see things in different ways. It's about opening doors. It's about serving the people that you lead because people are the means to a better end. People are the means to getting the results that you want. And it means treating people with goodness and opening doors of opportunities for them. That's a fantastic, oh gosh, you just love children. I mean, we sit here and spin our wheels and do all the research and everything in there. Hey, this one little innocent comment, it sets off, and he really, he definitely does understand 
leadership. Yeah, he really clarified for me. You know, like you have been immersed in the leadership development arena for a long time. And our expectations of leaders have gotten so inflated that they've actually become unrealistic. We want leaders to be strategic and tactical. We want them to be rational and emotionally intelligent. We want them to be flexible and principled. We want them to be careful and competitive and compassionate. And we've raised the standard on what it means to be a leader so high that too many people opt out. At the end of the day, I love what my five-year-old son taught me because he got right back to the simple idea that leadership is about creating opportunities for others, period. So let's focus on how do we do that? How do we serve others so that they can shine in the most possible, best possible way and have a really fulfilling career in the service of goals that they're pursuing and help the goals that we're pursuing at the same time. Bill, I think you made such a great point there. I was with a, a team in San Diego a couple of weeks ago, and we were sort of, they were having a weekend-long meeting, and they, we were at the opening party, and I was speaking with some of the senior leadership team and really kind of asking, what are some of the biggest issues? And one gentleman said, I can't develop my next level of talent because they look at me and say, I don't want your job. Mm. And their biggest challenge as a leadership team, they said, as they look at 2013, 2014, is how do they make their jobs look attractive? Mm. I think you made such a good point that we've made this leadership a burden rather than as your son recognizes. I mean, come on, there is no greater high than opening a door for somebody and watching somebody get through it. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? You know, that's a keen insight, right, that the executives that you're working with suggest. A leader's job should be something attractive. You, you should aspire to a leadership role. You shouldn't run away from it. Leaders end up having such a big target on their back. They're an easy bullseye because it's so easy to scrutinize a leader. And yet leadership can be so fulfilling and rewarding if we think of it as opening doors and serving others, but also if we think of leadership as a tradition, You know, it's not just a set of behaviors. It's not just a set of practices. It's not just having a clear vision. Leadership is a tradition. The moment that you get to be in a leadership role, you get to carry on this tradition that others have had before you, that had the honor of serving in, and that others after you will have the honor of serving in. And when you're in that leadership role and in a position of influence where you can positively impact others' lives, you should honor that tradition by giving it your best attention thoughtful ideas, passion, and doing it in the service of the people that you are leading. It's really about them, the people you're leading. It's not about you as the leader. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, (laughs) when I introduced you, I introduced you as the author of three books, father, leadership expert and consultant, and high diver. (laughs) Okay, so tell me how you go from diver to leadership expert. Interesting background. And I'd love to share this with listeners because I think that paths are, are so interesting and I like people to understand the, the level of opportunities they have and everything they can learn from every experience they're having in their life. That's a good point. You know, I was a member of the U.S. high diving team for seven years. I used to climb up 100-foot high dive ladders and hurl myself off at 50 miles an hour into small pools that looked like a teacup from up there, and did that for seven years, traveling all around the world, performing 1,500 high dives. 
And then I decided to retire my swimsuit and get a real job. And I got turned down a lot and I started to get discouraged. And then one day a mentor of mine said, you know, Bill, if you think about it, you've got some keen experience that a lot of businesses would like to have. And that is, how do you deal with risk? How do you deal with fear? How do you get off that ladder when you know you're capable of doing so, but fear is getting in the way? And so I started positioning my career around the idea of being a calculated risk taker. Then I did get a job. I got a job with a number of small boutique consulting companies with them in area of leadership development. And then I wrote an article on risk taking that was published in Training Magazine. It was a five-page spread. And I think that that helped the people at Accenture take an interest of me when I was interviewing at Accenture and I got a job with them. That, at the time, it was Anderson Consulting and it became Accenture. So that sort of set me on my career path is that I think that you're absolutely right. You know, anybody that's listening to this podcast, draw upon the experiences that you were blessed with in your life, however outlandish they may seem, because I'm sure that you can draw the relevancy into the work environment. The work environment needs people that are entrepreneurial. It needs risk takers. It needs people that have an appetite for being bolder. It needs dreamers. It needs mathematicians. It needs statisticians. It needs scientists. It needs whatever you got from your own experience and upbringing. Don't ever feel that if you have a job as outlandish as I did as a high diver, that you can't translate it into something meaningful in your career. Because I'm telling you, I'm living proof that you can. Well, and what I love about this story is not only is it, is it interesting, but also the fact that, and again, it's something that I think is so important for today's times. Because when you were talking about leadership, and I look at the challenges that we've got, I mean, globalization, advancements in technology, increased competition... It is, you know, as Charles Dickens would say, the best of times and the worst of times. But imagine working in a company where not only it was leadership's responsibility to recognize what you bring to the table, but for you to look at your own life as interesting, quirky, or as boring as you may think that it is or has been, and say, what have I done? What have I experienced? And how can I help my company understand where those experiences bring value to the organization because not only will you propel the organization forward but you propel your own career and your whole life so in here is a question to you we have definitely talked about leaders leading other people but what about self-leadership yeah it's such a good point I mean I don't know that anybody has written a book called self-leadership or leading yourself but I think somebody needs to because it's really so key. Leadership is an inside job. It has to start with you before you have the credibility to lead others. You know, at the end of the day, we want to find people who have, we want to follow people who have a solid sense of leadership direction, that they know where they're going. And if you're an executive and I walk into your office and it's piles of paper on your desk and it's a big mess, why would I follow you? If you are personally a mess, it suggests to me that you have no sense of solid direction of what you're doing and where you're going. And too many people, I don't, I think, are not good stewards of themselves. Uh, it's not, not in a selfish way, but in a self-respectful way. Do they know what their goals are? Do they know what they're trying to achieve? Have they plumbed their past to draw value from all of their life's lessons? 
do they have a point of view that, that is their own? It's not just some regurgitation of what they've read in a book or an article. You know, I think that you're right. Leading yourself is critical and key before you can ever have the credibility to earnestly lead other people. Bill, what is your secret to success besides listening to your three children and taking, <laughs> letting them guide your thoughts in your career? But as you look out there now, if a listener was going to walk away with a piece of advice, is there any one thing that you could sort of put your finger on that took you from zero to 60? I just think that I have a very keen sense of awareness of the fragility and the brevity of life. That I just know that, you know, I guess that the, to me, the most fundamental motivating factor of all is I'm going to be dead someday. And, <laughs> and when I'm dead, I'm going to be dead forever. I, I live here, you know, when you pattern, say I get to live to be 90 years old, it, you take 90 years. And you pattern that against eternity, and it literally is, you know, a blink of an eye. And so I just believe that while you're here, instead of hunkering down, playing it safe, and being afraid, you should live life with gusto. You should etch your initials on the tree of life and say, I was here. And doing that means, you know, Aristotle said that courage is the first virtue because it makes all of the other virtues possible. And if you want to lead a virtuous exciting, thrilling, meaningful, fulfilling life, then you've got to be able to live life with a certain gusto. So so for me, just this knowledge that I'm going to die someday is a motivating fact of life that I think is healthy for people to recognize. I actually had this conversation once with Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. Many of you, mm-hmm. your listeners, I'm sure know Sarah Blakely. Last year, she was on the cover of Forbes magazine as the youngest self-made female billionaire. And what people don't recognizes about Sarah, many people may not know this story, but when she was about 16 years old, she and a friend were crossing the street to go to a Mexican restaurant for lunch. And as they were crossing the street, her friend got killed in front of her by a car. And she said that it startled her so much. I mean, obviously, it startled her in that instance. But it, it literally shook up her life to the point that she had that very visceral, keen sense that you know what? Life is fragile. I saw my friend die right in front of me. I am not going to allow myself to live a life that is diminished. I'm going to live a big life to because I know how fragile all of this whole experience is. So I know that that sounds like a strange thing, but it's just that keen sense. And the, the piece of advice that I would offer your listeners is to answer the holy question. I had a priest one time say, Bill, these are the four most important words in the English language. What do you want? What do you want? A lot of people can define with you what they don't want. I don't want to end up in a place that I don't want to be. I don't want to end up in this company over here. I don't want, I'm so sick of this. Or what. But that's fine. That's halfway there. But what is it that you want? Because you've got to be able to define that before you know how to take your courage and apply it towards the goals and destination you're trying to get to. I think both of those are fantastic advice. And tragic as her story is, any of us dealing with aging parents right now, that to me has been the biggest lessons from aging parents is, oh my gosh, I am truly going to wind up, I'm just going to pass away one day, so what the heck, I might as well go for it now. Ain't it the truth? You know, I'm going to be going up to New York to see my dad next weekend. He's 76, and he's on dialysis, and he's in failing health. 
And I love my dad and I love my mom. They've never left the continental United States to go and travel. The farthest they ever went was Canada. And they're content with that. I'm not. I want to go and get it, take a big bite out of this apple before I kick. I want to get as much out of this life as I possibly can. And that includes my career because my career it makes up so much of the volume of the time of my life. I might as well spend it doing something I'm really passionate about and that I believe in, like helping people be more courageous. And Bill, you are. I mean, I, I could sit here and talk on this subject all day long. I have about a thousand questions <laughs> in my head I would love to continue to ask. So I hope that you'll come back. I'd love to. I want my listeners to be able to get a hold of both your books that are out right now as well as the new one that's coming out. How do we find you? How do we tap into all this wisdom you've been sharing with us? Well, first of all, thanks, Meredith, for having me on the show. I so appreciate it. I so appreciate what you're doing in trying to help people win in the trust and value economy. It's so needed. And the best way to get in touch with me would be to go to my website, and that's giantleapconsulting.com. You can also get there by the URL couragebuilding.com. You can find my books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And the new book, Leaders Open Doors, it comes out in about the early May time frame. If your listeners want to contact me directly at btreasurer at giantleapconsulting.com, I'm happy to let them know when it comes out. Otherwise, they can just look at it on the online retailers at that time. And listeners, I truly encourage you, if you didn't have a pen, if you're driving down the road and you're listening to this, just Google Giant Leap Consulting or Google Courage and Leadership, which I have done many times, and Bill pops all over <laughs> the place. And it is, it's great information. And as I said, relevant when he originally brought it to the forefront, but I think even more so, even more so now. So again, Bill, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to having you back again and thank you to all of you for joining us for the secrets to success the place where you learn the tips strategies and ideas you need to get ahead and win because you can win in the trust and value economy we look forward to having you on our next show thank you so much